Welcome to the Star Singer Podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Van Boxtel, and I specialize in the art and science of vocal performance, helping singers just like you to give amazing performances so that you can feel comfortable, confident, and in total control of your voice every time that you walk on and off stage. This podcast is here to help you on your journey to becoming a star singer. So let's push play on this episode. Today is a super inspiring and super practical episode for everyone who is looking to make a career in their music and wondering if it's possible to make any money doing, you know, what you love, especially you know, with you've you've heard of the starving artist, and today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our guest today, Spencer List. Spencer's journey. We're going to talk about his journey from rock bottom to financially stable as a working musician, and then we're going to dig into the finance aspect a little bit and talk about why creating an emergency fund is essential for musicians and how you can get started creating an emergency fund even if you feel like you have no money to spare. We talk about where the starving artist mindset comes from, how to become a thriving musician, and the role that mindset plays in your finances. So since we're talking about becoming a thriving musician on today's show, specifically about making money from music, I want to introduce you to another podcast that I know you'll love. My friend Brie Noble hosts the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast. Brie focuses on helping you build and connect with your fan base and create a thriving musician business. Although Brie highlights female artists on her show, her tips are definitely not gender-specific. In fact, our guest today, Spencer List, had Brie on his show recently, his podcast, The Thriving Musician, and said that she and he were of one mind when it comes to how musicians need to think about money and generating income. So if you want to make more money from your music, you definitely want to check out the Female Entrepreneur Musician podcast with Brie Noble at femusician.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or follow on Spotify. All right, let's push play on this episode. I'm here with Spencer List and we are talking about finances for the musician and I'm so excited that you're here and can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you help singers and musicians? Certainly so thanks for having me I'm really excited to talk about all these things. So my name is Spencer List and I'm a professional saxophonist and woodwind specialist so I play all the clarinets and flutes and a little bit of bassoon here and there and um, but mo- mostly saxophone and I went to school for music. I went to um, SMU, Southern Methodist University in Dallas, did some classical there. Then I transferred to University of North Texas and started pursuing jazz. So I have my bachelor's and master's in jazz studies, saxophone performance. And from then on, I just started playing professionally in Dallas. And I really wanted to kind of prove to my community and my family and friends 
that I could make a living performing because it was, you know, I was told basically that it's almost impossible to do. You're never going to make any money. Starving artist stigma, so-and-so. I'm sure some of your listeners have heard some of these words before. And so I went out to, to prove them wrong, which by the way, is not an ideal path to pursue to prove anybody wrong. You should do it because for your own reasons. And so anyways, I, I ended up making a living performing, um, played with local to national acts that came through Dallas and really got the behind the scenes, kind of behind the curtain look of what that life is like, did a little bit of touring. So I got a taste, enough of a taste to understand what it really looked like and also to eventually realize that that's not the life that I wanted to live. And so there's this kind of pivotal moment that happened Uh, I think it was the summer of 2015 and I was on a tour in the West coast with a Brazilian band. It was really fun and awesome. It didn't pay that much, but it was more like an opportunity. It was back when I was saying yes to everything and it was really fun. And I came back from that tour and then immediately after getting home, I went to Italy and I went to abroad for the first time in my life for my grandmother's birthday and uh, really fortunate to have that experience. But what that ended up, what ended up happening was I was away from home for five weeks straight. The tour didn't really pay that much. It was more for fun. And I was spending a lot of money for that, those five weeks. So I came home and I have a, a screenshot of this bank statement. In August of 2015, I came home and I had $67 in my account. And this was a first for me. So I always say, Everyone has their rock bottom. It's different for everybody. This was mine. I was, I grew up as a saver. So I always had kind of a bed to lay on financially. At least I thought I did. And this was kind of the first time where it was like, I don't have gigs for a couple months. I have $67. I don't own anything other than my horns and my car. And that's when I thought no other musician should ever feel this way including myself, right? So that was a huge moment where I just had to, something had to change. I could never let that happen again. And so that's what has led to my interest in finances, learning about money, financial literacy. So I started reading as many books as I could possibly get my hands on and started implementing what I learned slowly. And long story short, a year and a half later, I bought my first property and increased my net worth by it's like 250% or something. And those numbers don't really mean anything, but looking back, it's really interesting to see that by putting your mind to something that you think matters, that you can really achieve things a lot faster than maybe you think. I thought it would take five to 10 years to buy my first place and it didn't take that long. So here I am now, I'm dedicated Um, to teaching musicians financial literacy. And I'm also now a full-time financial planner. I still perform professionally, um, but I've really changed my focus to helping musicians. So that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) That's awesome. That's, that's, that is really cool. So I, how did you even like begin to do that? Um, Kind of um, dig yourself out of that. Well, you weren't in the hole. Cause you had $67, but <laughs> yeah, <I remember. laughs> 
wow. And like what that must feel like. I mean, I'm sure like we've all felt like that at some point in yeah. our journey to adulthood and it doesn't. And I mean, when you're in college, it can be a little less because, you know, like if you're living in the dorms, you're like, okay, well, at least I have a house. Right. Like I'm cool. So that like impending doom isn't there. But like right. when you're out of it, it's a lot scarier because, you know, you have rent or whatever. So how did you, you said you started reading books, but how did mm -hmm. you income wise, like dig yourself out of this hole? So I'm trying to think back to those, that month or two. And I think, I don't know if I, I'm not sure if I borrowed some money from my mother or something. I don't think that I did. Um, but there was a few weeks where I didn't do anything and yeah. I did have some gigs. So, you know, summertime, at least here in Dallas for the kind of work that I was doing, it was a little bit of a dry spell, which is normal for that. Um, it was a lot of weddings, private parties, things like that don't typically yeah. happen when it's 105 degrees in Texas. Um, but I did have gigs lined up in late September, October, November, because once, once the fall hits, I mean, it's just like raining money, Dallas, Texas. Yeah. I mean, if you want to make money as a musician, come here. The money's yeah. here. People are willing to spend money on musicians. It's, it's awesome. And I'm fortunate to be here for that. Um, so I think I just, I just tried to outlast until the gig started coming in again. And in terms of, and it, you know, it just didn't feel good. And when I, I was, there was one book, um, the title's terrible. It's called The Automatic Millionaire. And I don't remember how I got into it. I had, I had read some other books like The Slight Edge, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and a couple others, but eventually led me to The Automatic Millionaire, which the one thing I got from that book was to start saving and make it automatic. And so oh. when I talk about saving an emergency fund, for example, and this is kind of what the first step was for me and what I teach to people is, you know, your emergency fund. And so that's what I started doing. He was saying, okay, decide how much you want to set aside every month and then set it up automatically with your bank. Cause almost every bank has that ability. And um, so once those gigs started coming back in and I, I was kind of getting back up to, to normal there in my, my checking, I committed to saving and I can't remember how I, decided how much, but it, I, I said I was going to save $200 a month and just put it into savings and not touch it. And it was one of the scariest things I had ever done because when you set something up automatically, just like if you set up your rent or your internet bill to draft yeah. automatically, there's always that worry. Well, what if I don't have enough money to cover that bill? Right. And it's going to overdraft and I'm going to get charged. It's just a nightmare, right? It's really scary. So and I was still kind of at a low point there financially. So I, I was really scared to, to start it. But I guess my intuition or my gut just said, you have to do this. It doesn't matter. Um, start. And if, if something happened, you know, I, I monitored it. So I, I made sure. But what I found was that nothing really changed in my life. So I and that's the whole point of making it automatic is you don't see it come out of your account. It happens once a month, whenever, whatever date you select. And we make purchasing decisions a lot of times based on 
what that number is maybe in our checking. So let's say you want to go out to eat. Oh, well, I've got this much. So, you know, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Oh, well then, yeah, I'm going to, you know, let's go to the taco place or whatever. Let's go out to eat or whatever it is. Um, let's go to the movies because you kind of feel comfortable knowing where your number is, right, in your account. So what happens is if you are subconsciously doing that, if that $200 is already taken out, well, then you're making decisions based on this new number with that 200 already set aside. And so for me, I didn't notice any change. I didn't feel like I had to eat ramen for a year and a half or reduce my lifestyle in any way because it was just more psychological. And so eventually it worked out to where not only was I working on saving automatically, but I was also working on strategies to increase my income. So where I used to make a hundred, two hundred $200 a gig, I started making 300 to 500. And that was just by reading books and trying to, um, you know, using my network and being helpful on the gig, being the right kind of person and providing value and things like that. Yeah. So a couple of things. So when you're talking about automatic, you're talking about like, um, setting up a separate, like a savings account yes. and then it kind of auto drafts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And then, um, so how did that, uh, I don't really want to like, cause it's personal for everybody, but you know, everybody has that number that they feel yeah. like safe and secure at. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you recommend a certain percentage and Certainly. or like, how did that make you feel once you hit that number? and well, are you still doing it are you still setting yes. aside emergency or do you like invest yes. in it okay yes so well and so yeah a lot of things there um first off when i finally got to that number i think it was like five thousand dollars i'm trying i can't remember quite exactly it was a few years ago um but when i whenever i finally got there it felt amazing, but what's hilarious is I think it was like that day or that right when I hit it, an emergency happened. <laughs> and I Oh wow. I needed the money for the emergency. And it was such a surreal moment. Um, you know, it, it never feels good to pay for things like that, but it changed everything because the money was there for the emergency. If it wasn't, then what would I have done? Right. And what most people do when they don't have an emergency fund is they take out loans or put it on a credit card, which is the number one fastest way to ruin your entire life financially and your potential net worth in the future. And so it was kind of a bittersweet moment, but I was really thankful that I dedicated myself to it. And then I right away started working back up and starting it over again. Um, so it served its purpose. Um, so it did feel really good and wow, it was such a relief. And then the moment happened and I got to experience, um, I like to say the emergency fund turns emergencies into minor inconveniences. And that's what happened. I think for, for example, like your car breaks down, you have a $2,000 expense. Well, if you have your emergency fund, it's no longer an emergency because the money's there. You just pay for it. It's just an yeah. inconvenience. You just write the check. Yeah. Um, so in terms of how much to save and like percentages and stuff. So do you want me to go through, I can go through a few steps. Sure. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah. Saving an emergency fund. First off, it's I love 
yeah, I love mindset stuff, but it's awesome. Like, I also like to be like tangible, like give me oh, some yeah. steps. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we need to know exactly how this works, right? So these are kind of financial, personal finance industry standards. Um, it varies for everyone. So I'll say right off the bat, first off, I guess just as a disclaimer, I'm not giving like investing advice, anything like that. Um, you know, talk to a professional, even though I consider myself to be one, talk yes. to your CPA or your yes. financial planner or talk to someone that you trust. But that being said, I've done a lot of study on this. I am a financial planner. So with an emergency fund, typical recommendation is we want to have anywhere from three to six months of expenses set aside. And so generally an emergency fund is for loss of income. So let's say you lose your job. Well, if you're a musician and let's say you have multiple gigs or multiple streams of income, you kind of have a little bit more security than maybe someone who just has one job. So you have a little leeway there potentially. Um, but, but let's say you just had one, you're doing a theater gig, you know, all year. It's just one gig and you break your leg or something and you can't do it and you lose that income or something like that. Well then, or let's say that the theater, you know, burns down or gets sold or whatever, you know, whatever emergency happens there and you lose that income and you got to find other work. Typically it's how long will it take for me to find that income replacement? So generally three to six months is kind of a good range depending on your industry, maybe your age and things like that. So there's a, there's a wide range there. And it's also based on your level of comfortability. How many months of expenses do you want to have set aside? For some people, they feel comfortable only having one month because they know that if, you know, things hit the fan, then they can go out and replace that income easily. They know that they can go on Fiverr and get a gig or whatever it is that, that they're doing with their income. Some people are more conservative and want up to a year or two years, I've heard, of having their expenses set aside. And it's really up to you, but three to six months is generally a typical range. And so first you decide how many months you want to set aside. And by expenses, I mean non-discretionary expenses. And by non-discretionary, I mean bills that are going to happen whether you like it or not. So Netflix is a discretionary expense. You get to decide if you want to keep Netflix or not. So if you're in times in dire need or an emergency, you can cancel your Netflix, right? And then turn it back on when you're feeling good again. But like your rent or your mortgage, um, maybe your internet, uh, groceries, car payment, things like that that are happening every month no matter what, those are non-discretionary expenses. So what we do is we add all those up and we find out what that number is. Let's say it's 2000 a month in non-discretionary expenses. And that's, that's what you're having to spend every month no matter what. And that's the bare minimum you need to live off of if you have no income, then that's your monthly number. And you just multiply it by how many months you want to set aside. So that's sort of step one. Well, that's great. And I bet a lot of people like may not, and like, don't be embarrassed because like I am on a budget now and budget is not a bad word, right. but like you may not know how much that number is. Right. And just doing this might make you feel like, Oh, that's all. I can yeah. do that. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and, and it, in some cases 
the opposite could be true is I didn't realize I was spending this much every month on my housing or my car payment and all this. That's a really big number. I didn't even know. So it can be no really No wonder I'm freaked out. Like, no wonder I'm stressed. <laughs> right, like, right. Which affects your music and your creativity and all that other good stuff. Um, yeah, so there are a few other steps. Um, I do have a, a free PDF that anyone can have for free. It just details its four simple steps. That was one of them. And it just helps you get started in saving your emergency fund. And that's kind of step one. Once you have that going, you can kind of move on to the other things to awesome. fix your finances. So, yeah, I'll link that up in the show notes. Um, awesome. One thing that I noticed that was really interesting is once you got this emergency in place, you talked about your income going up. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if that was like a result of uh, like karma or like the world is like, hey, you're doing good with money. So we're going to give you some more. And or maybe the fact that you're like, hmm, I can be a little more choosy with my gigs. It's kind of a combination of all of it. I definitely think the universe had a a part in all this. And I definitely think a big part is mindset. Having There's a great book called Mindset uh, by Carol Dweck. And she talks about scarcity mindset versus growth mindset or scarcity versus abundance fixed versus growth, excuse me. And they're basically the same thing. But I think changing my mindset that there is an abundance of money out there if you want it. Um, And just thinking that you aren't fixed, like your ability to play music is not fixed. You can grow and learn and you can improve upon yourself. And so I think the mindset was kind of the underlying theme that really improved my income. I do think the universe had a part in it. And then also a lot of the work that I had done, just who I was all my life around other people in the music community and out, um, that network is always there, whether you like it or not. The people you meet, if you've burned bridges, I don't recommend that, but that's a part of your network. And I think that I found a good way to navigate my network as I went from being young in college, not being able to play very well to a professional at the highest level. And so I think those combinations of things came together and it really, it wasn't overnight for sure. But, you know, one day I did wake up and I'm making $500 on a gig and that, you know, I never thought that that was even possible. So I definitely think it was a big combination of things. Well, and it's awesome because you mentioned like scarcity and abundance and like, I believe in that. And it's like, woohoo, 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 woohoo. But like (laughs) a, a, a thing that's like, like super interesting is also like, well, you made the tangible steps to like put that emergency fund together and then you didn't feel like panic mode because right. you knew it was there. Right. So that was probably, um, I mean, I know that would help me. Like, <laughs> Yeah. It definitely builds on itself when you start taking those steps because then I'm able to make decisions. And like you, you hinted at earlier, you know, when I was younger, I said yes to every gig and for every person, there is a point in your career where you do say yes to every gig, right? You want to get out there and you want people to hear you and you want to meet people. But, but now I I'm feel at the like point, maybe I need the money too. Like. Well, that too, that too, for sure. Uh, but slowly, you know, I'm at the point where I say no 
practically almost every time because my how much it pays, how far away is it, what day is it on, what you know, what's the opportunity cost? I mean, there's so many factors now that play into my decision. You know, who is it with? Am I going to have fun? And obviously, my priorities have changed too with my income changing. There's so many factors there, but I say no a lot more than I say yes now. And some people just say yes their whole career, and then they're playing hundred dollar gigs their whole career because there's no way to move up. So by having the emergency fund and working on those things, it allowed me to start saying no. And also changing my mindset allowed me to feel better about saying no and knowing that it was a good thing to do for myself. So it's definitely all encompassing and it starts to stack on itself for sure. Yeah, definitely. So why musicians? Like what's the, like what's the big deal? Like why do, why are musicians different when it comes to this subject of finance and what are some um maybe excuses or like fears that come up for a lot of musicians Mm -hmm. when it comes to this subject sure so this is a big topic and this is something that i'm trying to tackle as best i can and i know other people are out there too kind of talking about the starving artist stigma there's a really good book that talks about this it's called real artists don't starve And it's by Jeff Goins. And he talks about a few artists way back centuries ago, like Shakespeare and Michelangelo. So Shakespeare and Michelangelo and a couple others who everyone thought was really poor. But it turns out they actually made really good decisions. And Michelangelo, for example, owned a ton of real estate in Florence and Italy and he's like a mogul. And um, <laughs> so there was, uh, there was a poet back then who I don't think had a great go at his career. So he wrote a book called, his name was Henri Merger. I think I'm saying his name right. And he wrote, it's, it's a longer title, but basically he wrote La Boheme. And it turned into Rent, Moulin Rouge, uh, the opera called La Boheme. And it's popularizes, I guess, the starving artist stigma, like that it's cool to do that. Mm, and it's cool to start It's a very romantic idea. It romanticizes the starving artist stigma. There it is. That's the word I was looking for. Woo-hoo! And so that happened centuries ago. And it's, you know, mm. who doesn't love Moulin Rouge and Rent? It's, it's in our culture. Ugh. And it's like a gorgeous, like... Oh my gosh, if that could be life. Like, was right. it Baz Luhrmann who did the Moulin Rouge, the remake? I can't, the director. It's just, you've, have you, you've seen it, I'm sure. Yeah, it's like it's gorgeous. I'm right. looking at it and I'm like, <gasps> like the same thing with the Phantom of the Opera. Like, it's just so beautiful. And it's like, it, it really is a nice, like kind of beautiful, like romanticized, over romanticized idea that like in our culture right now, like just isn't working. Right, like that you have to, or that it's cool to struggle for your art, or that you have to struggle, yeah, or that you need to be starving to, I don't know, garner respect among the community. And Mm. I think that over the years, it's just compounded on itself, and we don't have enough examples of what I would call thriving musicians. They're not starving, they're not rich and famous, they're living normal lives, they have retirement, they have insurance, they pay their taxes, 
right? And they generate a good amount of income. They maybe have families if they want them. They maybe own houses if they want. And they're all out there, but we don't talk about them because it's more sexy. It's more cool to talk about the starving artist stigma or, or becoming rich and famous is like, that's the goal, right? Yeah. Or you've got, you know, this guilt that like, oh, but if I make money, well, that doesn't mean I love what I do. Exactly. And you've got the whole selling out stigma and then there's the self-worth that comes into play. So there's a lot of factors here, but so for musicians, I think it's just, we've been swept into that. That's we're creative people. We create art and our art is not really worth that much, even though some people want to charge more and they don't know why they're getting, they're not getting paid more at the restaurant. (laughs) Even though I can go on a whole tangent about that because restaurants can only afford so much. Right. But so I think that just over the years, that's been the case. And then, I mean, I experienced it, like I mentioned um, during my story, I grew up hearing those words and it's just a societal norm that, people who aren't musicians have heard those terms too. So then they, they hear, oh, you want to be a musician? Well, be, you better have a backup plan or you're not going to make any money. And so it's just compounded. And I think that's why musicians or a lot of the music community is in that place. And so here I am and you and us talking about this, hoping to demystify those stigmas. Yeah. And so like it is possible for us as musicians to like make a living because I think actually a lot of, I mean, maybe you've seen this, like I think the general feeling of thought that I get vibe wise is like, well, I'll never make that much money. So why should I care about my finances or like finance, like financial planning, like wills and stuff like that's for like when I'm dead or like that's for when I have like millions of dollars, like kind of thing. Right. (laughs) And you're kind of touching on mindset, right? Like, and Mm. that's, I mentioned about self-worth and and that also comes over the years of being told that you're not worth that much. Um, And then if you tell yourself that it's even worse. So yeah, I think that the dangers of thinking like that is that a time will come either when you get older and your priorities change and you, let's say you, okay, now I want to buy a house or now I want to think about my estate planning or whatever. And it might be too late because you didn't make, take any steps now when you were younger or, and no, I, I don't mean to say too late. I guess it just means it's a lot more difficult. So let's say if you're not saving for retirement, I'll never retire. I can always play my saxophone until I die. Right. That's not true. Right. Um, my interests might change. My priorities might change. I might physically get injured or not be able to play anymore and might not be able to generate the same income. I mean, there's so many factors that could happen. And so just thinking that I'm never going to retire doesn't mean I shouldn't be saving for retirement now because when I'm 60, Mm. it's very hard to save for retirement when you're that age. And so it's almost like you, you don't want to, kind of like mentally give in and say, okay, I'm going to save for retirement, even though I don't want to retire and I don't want to give up music and things like that. I'm not saying to shift your mindset and just assume that these things are going to happen, but you should prepare for them just in case. Um, Yeah. 
I want to have the, I mean, I love what I do. I want to be doing this for forever, but I also want to have like the freedom to choose like how much I want to do and how much I don't. And if, you know, there was nothing there, then I don't have freedom anymore. The choice is not mine. Yes. It's just like, oh. I couldn't agree more. And that's really what all this is about. It's financial and creative freedom. So if you're able to start taking care of your finances and get in a better place, you do have that freedom of choice. Like we talked about, I could say no more. Um, you know, my goal is to actually, I've moved on even from the making a living performing. I'm now at a point where I'm trying to remove money from music completely. So I don't have to do the gig. I only do it because I want to. So when you have to do something, it's a lot different because I would show up and have a different attitude. Like I have to be here. My livelihood depends on it. But if I'm showing up because I want to, because I've taken care of my finances and other things, then like you said, there that's when the freedom comes in. And then you can really start working on, I like to say, money first, music forever. So mm, That's really and you, nice. And you only have to take five minutes a day thinking about and learning about these things. You can still go back to practicing right after and go a hundred thousand percent into your music. So it doesn't really take away from your creativity by doing these things, in my opinion. Yeah. I think like definitely gives you security too. Cause if you know, I love the emergency fund as a, as a really tangible first step. Mm-hmm. So we'll link that freebie in there. And a lot of listeners might be thinking, Oh, that's like super cool. And it's like a cool idea, but like that, I pro- like I is that for me can I do that like but don't you have a podcast with like a whole bunch of examples yes. of this yes so my podcast is called the thriving musician podcast and I interview musicians from all different walks of life they generate income in all different ways they play different instruments they're at different levels from local to national people I mean they have all these different kinds of experiences and they kind of reveal what their life is like. And some of them have these things, some of them don't. Some of them are working on it, right? We're all in different places. Um, but there are certainly a lot of musicians out there who have emergency funds. They have the proper insurance. It's not lame to do these things. In fact, it's, it's necessary. You have to do these things because there's inherent risk in our world and we're trying to avoid that stuff and so yeah i got okay i got triple a the other day like premium rv and i was like oh i mean it was like 115 dollars a year and i get like i'm okay i'm not a sponsor i'm just saying like how good (laughs) this makes me feel i get like one toe 200 miles one way and like three toes 100 miles like I'm never going to use that, but it just yeah. makes me feel so much more confident as like a single woman. I'm like driving in the middle of nowhere. If I break down, I don't know anything about cars. Like I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be taken care of. And right. so I think that like putting steps like this in is like, it just feels so much better to go out into the world. Yeah. And for <laughs> what? 10 bucks a month and yeah, like, for that feeling, it's totally worth it. Right. I mean, you can forego yeah. one Starbucks, I don't drink coffee, so I don't know how much it costs, but, uh, you know, you can forego some of these luxuries that, you know, really don't 
provide you much value beyond the five minutes you consume it for potentially a lifetime of comfort. And like you said, that feeling same yeah. goes for musical instrument insurance and disability insurance and mm. your emergency fund. It's all in your retirement. All of these things are so that you feel more free and feel better about the choices you can make. Yeah. I love it. And your podcast sounds so great for like inspiration, but also like ideas on how different mm-hmm. people make money. But like, wow, like they're doing that. That kind of sounds like, like what I'm doing. Like I could do that too. So I hope that some people will take advantage of that for some inspo and some, uh, I just said inspo, inspiration <laughs> and um, strategy. So yeah, I'll definitely. That in the show notes too. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I think yeah. A, a little piece on that. So, one of the underlying themes of these interviews that I do on the podcast is to reveal things that are possible that maybe you had never thought of before. Because for my situation, I went to college for music because I was good at music. I was good at a lot of other things, but I didn't really know what a career in music could look like. I didn't know about all the different possibilities, what the lifestyle would be like. And so the, my podcast is, hopefully showing shining a light on all of these different possibilities because you might hear something that really resonates with you that no one's ever said before was possible. So that's kind of another underlying theme too. Yeah, definitely. I love how we have clarinets in the background. I'm at the studio right now. I love recording it. This, and um, it's funny that you're like a clarinet and sax player. <laughs> that's so cool. Um, yes. What is your favorite saxophone song ever to play that people might know like are you a fan of like Bruce Springsteen saxophone player like what do you like just wondering okay so I I study jazz I play all styles so I really mm-hmm. do like a lot of funk I grew up on underground hip-hop um neat with a but, saxophone that sounds cool yeah like so, little beats yeah so there's actually an artist that I really like his name's MF Doom and we actually did a cover group of his stuff. It was really awesome, but it's, it's obscure. Who knows? Maybe some people know of him, but. Well, um, if they do, you've made like friends forever. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, I listened to gr- growing up, I listened to a lot of, I guess, modern saxophone players, Joshua Redman, Mark Turner, and Donnie McCaslin. Donnie McCaslin was. Oh, what's his name? I'm blanking it. David Bowie's. <laughs> On David Bowie's oh, last album, he's cool. the sax player and his Donnie McCaslin's band is the band for David Bowie's last album. And so, yeah, but other than that, I mean, I play, I've played a lot of weddings and um, like cover band, party band stuff because it pays a cool. lot. So, you know, any, any song with saxophone on pop songs, I've probably played it. <laughs> well, that's but, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's nice to like, I don't know. I, I try to always ask people like, what's your favorite song? Or like, what are you doing? Cause it like, it's like, Oh, Hey, he's a person. He likes music it, like me. <laughs> like, yeah. I like that. It's tough cool. for me to pick a favorite song and not to like go the complete opposite direction. Um, but when you asked me that, I immediately thought about the fact that for very good reasons, I, I actually don't listen to as much music as I used to. And that has something to do with going to music school. I think there's some sort of trauma, potential 
musical there's, tour that happened. There's joy in the silence. I'm a oh, big Jack yes. Cage fan now. Yes. <laughs> so like in the you car. so much and you like block it out. Like, yeah. you, like you said something about the clarinets. I'm like, I didn't even hear it because I was like focused on like blocking it out. So <laughs> because like, you know, the practice rooms and all right. that good stuff. And so you learn to like focus, but yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I mean, to each his own. Yeah, definitely. And that's part of another factor of health, mental health and self-awareness and things is our relationship with music changes over time based on things that have happened. And like I mentioned about removing the money from music for me, there's also a need for me to come back to music in a healthier way because I was relying on it completely for income and it wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted. So now I'm kind of having to start over. And that's also means kind of musically for listening that's changed because for people who study music, a lot of times when they listen to it, it's information. Just like a comedian listening to another comedian's, they, they know how the joke's going to end because it's information for them. So it's hard to be entertained by it. And that's been the case for me too. So that's a whole nother ball game, right? <laughs> when you're getting better and better at music and then are you listening for enjoyment or to get better? Is it information? So cool. it's different for everybody. Yeah, that's something to think about. And like, you don't have to feel guilty about it. Like yeah. it just, it is what it is and yeah. you can morph and grow. And definitely. so I love this. So we've, um, we've talked about a few places that we can find you. Um, what's your website? Where, can, where else can we find you? Yeah, it's www.spencerlist.com. S-P-E-N-S-E-R-L-I-S-Z-T. And the emergency fund is just mywebsite.com slash emergency fund. And I'm on awesome. Instagram and Facebook. I, I do some, I try to do just educational posts. I don't really talk about myself. It's all about you. I want to help you. Um, and then I also have a newsletter where I send out every weekend, I'll send out some weekend reading and it ranges from finance articles that I've read recently to music industry stuff. It's just kind of a wide range of hopefully um, resourceful things that could actually benefit you. And um, because I know there's a lot of things floating out there, blog posts that might not be. So I'm hoping to provide some value there too. And Yeah. yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, definitely. I really appreciated talking with you. Thank you so much for choosing to hang out with me today. You are amazing for pursuing your dreams and becoming the star singer that you were meant to be. You can join the star singer movement by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or sharing this episode on IG stories. Leaving a rating and sharing this episode helps this podcast get seen by way more singers just like you. And that is creating a massive impact in one of the giant goals of this podcast, which is eliminating fear, anxiety, and non-productive competition from the music industry and helping to create a new music industry for singers based on collaboration, love, and making a difference and a real impact with your music.